Barr. Thank you, uh, as Ruth said earlier already, that uh, your presence is here with us. Lord, that's, that's the most that we want, is uh, to be able to meet with you, to be in your presence, to be able to worship you in your presence, and to be able to hear from you, and to be able to um, meet with you, and to uh, be molded and shaped by you. So Lord, as we open your word together, please do that. Continue to meet with us. Lord, we ask that you would um, uh, shape us however you would like to shape us. Lord, if we need encouragement, Lord, do that. If we need to be um, broken in some way, Lord, we give you permission to break us. Lord, if we need to be healed, Lord, I ask that you would do that. Come and heal the brokenhearted or, bro- or physically broken. Lord, whatever we need this morning, I pray that you will supply because we know that you are the God who supplies all of our needs. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I'm going to, um, I'm going to let, uh, if you will, the, the Apostle John set this message up for us. So um, if you would uh, um, listen to how, how he, I think, may have uh, seen and portrayed what happened in Matthew 16. It was a fall morning. The leaves were just starting to change, but the sun was still warm on our faces and and warm on our backs. And Jesus said, men, pack up. We're leaving. We're going to Caesarea Philippi. We all looked at each other. Caesarea Philippi? Caesarea Philippi? Now, me, I heard my mom in the back of my head. John, you and James can go anywhere and play in Israel, but never go near Caesarea Philippi. And I didn't. Now, it was probably more because it was 25 miles there and 25 miles back, but as I grew older, I learned more about Caesarea Philippi. It was a grand and beautiful place. It was a, the place where Mount Hermon is. Mount Hermon is the tallest peak in all of Judea. Mount Hermon actually had a snow cap uh, all, all year round. And towards the top of Mount Hermon, there is a, a cave. And the cave has a spring that comes out of it. So it's a beautiful, wonderful place. However... The spring is thought to be the place, the uh, home of the Greek god Pan. And Pan is the, the god of, of um, agriculture, of, of, of flocks and herds. And so Caesarea Philippi wanted to please Pan as much as they could. And in doing so, you can let your imaginations wonder how all they could please and make sure they could have a good, fertile group of flocks and herds. It was in this mountain cave where the spring came out. Now, I don't know if you goyim, um, Gentiles, uh, know, know much about us Jews, but we don't like water very much. I mean... We, we use the water, we, we appreciate it, you know, of course we have to drink and it, 
It provides water for our flocks and our herds. We fish. But we don't like it very much. You see, places like rivers and the, the sea and even the spring, it's a, it's a place where the disembodied spirits can come and, and go back and forth from the, from the place, from the um, other realm. So this, shall I say, gate was standing up at the top of Mount Hermon. In fact, I remember a time we were all out on this boat out in the middle of the water, and, and we saw this apparition coming across the water, and we all went, ah, it's a ghost. And well, it turned out just to be Jesus. But, well, I, I digress. Um, where was I? Um, Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon. Well, this place, this cave, was what we thought could be a place where these spirits could go and come and go back and forth. And Jesus, he said, pack up. Let's go to Caesarea Philippi. Why would he want to go to Caesarea Philippi? But we went. I remember it was the second day that we were, we were on the journey. And, and I, woke, I woke up, we started going, and the mist of the morning was was just burning off from the sun. I could see, I got my first glimpse of, of Mount Hermon in the distance and the cave that was up there. I didn't want to look, but my eyes were naturally drawn to see what this place was like. And as I followed the mountain down, I could see Caesarea Philippi right there at the base of the mountain. It was as it was if the whole city was cut out chiseled out of the mountain, a rock wall around it, and a grand gate sitting there at the, at the entrance to the city. As we walked, you may have those moments when everything seems to quiet down, where the breeze stops, the birds seem to listen. And Jesus said, men, who do people say that I am? I think Bartholomew was the first one to speak up. He said, some say John the Baptist. And then people started popping up and taking turns. And said, well, John said, I said, um, well, I think it, you're Elijah. And then Matthew said, well, I think it was Isaiah. I think everybody popped up, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And Jesus, of course, with a hush, said, But who do you say that I am? Peter, in the midst of the quiet, said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turned and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. I say to you, you are Cephas. And upon this rock, I will build my church 
and the gates of Hades will not be able to overpower it. Behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Jesus said, shh. Don't tell anybody yet that I'm the Christ. I took some slight liberties with the text here. But what I'm hoping is that you see that the context of this passage is actually one of the characters. The context of the passage is actually one of the characters in the passage. Let me read it from Scripture now. Starting in verse 13, Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said this, but he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. And one of the, the great things about this passage, one of the, the, my favorite scriptures, it says, and Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. So, but oftentimes, I'm not sure we ask that question enough. How will he build his church? You know, the first thing um, we should look at is that he'll build it on a rock. He'll build it on a rock. You know, when uh, Jesus turns to, to Simon, to, to Peter, he changes his name. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, you're not going to be called Simon anymore. You're going to be called Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic for, for rock. People make a, a kind of a big deal out of um, the Greek there. Uh, it, you know, Peter is from the Greek. Petra is, is Greek. It's actually uh, most likely spoken in Aramaic. So as you are Cephas, and upon this Cephas, I will build my church. So Peter is, is, this, is this rock. And the idea here is God, Jesus, as God is Jesus, of course, he changes, changes Peter's name. It's very, very similar to what you would find with Abraham. You were, a, you were Abram, now you are Abraham. You were a, an, a, a exalted father, now you can be the father of many nations. And what God wants to do is to take a rock and make him a box of rocks. Okay? No, come on. That was pretty good. If you didn't laugh at that, let's try that again. He wants to take a rock and he wants to make it a box of rocks. Now, 
I, I know, uh, who, who in here has had a garden in New England? Anybody gardened in New England? All right, we, we've done gardens, okay? We've done smallish gardens, we've done larger-ish garden, gardens. I remember the first couple times we tried to put a garden in. It was probably about a 15-foot square, about right, you think? I, I had our, our pitch, our, my shovel and pitchfork and, you know, got all the grass out of it and took the pitchfork and, and um, you know, tilled up all the soil and, and raked it all out. And let me tell you what, we picked out every last rock in that soil. Did we not? Every last single rock. And I, I no lie, we went out there a couple of weeks later and there's rocks. And then we went out, th- out there the next year, same patch of grass. You know, we did the exact same thing, take out all the grass, pitchfork, rake. What did we find? More rocks. How many of years have you all been doing the same place? In what? There's rocks. Every- rocks breed. In New England, they breed. And that, but that's what God wants, is he wants us to be more rocks. Isn't it interesting that in, in uh, let me get the right passage here, First Peter 2, it says that you as living stones are being built into a, a, a holy place for him. Now, I've got some rocks here. Now then, you might, you might recognize that this is not how these rocks came out of the ground. I don't know. I, I pulled rocks out of the ground. None of them have been shaped like this. If God wants us to make us into stones, right? He gave, he, Peter, Peter, you are the rock that this place is going to build, be built on. A couple of chapters earlier, Jesus um, gave, the, gave the parable of the, the man who built his house on the sand versus the one who built it on a rock. There's a great little song for it, right? There you go. You know, and then it, when the rain came down and the waters came up and the house on the sand went kaboom, right? God, and then the one who built it on a rock. And of course, we know that ultimately the rock is Jesus. But Peter is the first one that he put in place. But the thing is, God wants to put rocks into place that he's got to shape first. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about him being the master builder. So what kind of shape are you in? I heard a story many years ago about an, an artist who would, um, he would, he would shape um, rock and clay. And, and uh, if I remember correctly, he would make horses and horse heads and stuff out of them. And was just an incredible, incredible artist making these um, de- uh, designs and take, you know, rock or clay and, and make these just really lifelike images. And somebody asked him and said, so... How do you how do you go about taking a, a rock and making it look like a horse? And he said, "If it doesn't look like a horse, I knock it off. 
I, ta- I, I knock out anything that doesn't look like the horse. Jesus is fashioning a temple for himself and knocking off things out of our lives that don't look like him. Now, we have a choice. Remember last week we talked about in Romans 13 that we have to be subject and the idea is to subject ourselves. So are we subjecting ourselves to the the creativeness of the creator and letting him knock off anything that doesn't look like Jesus? Maybe that's some habits. Maybe it is some lifestyle things. Maybe it's the way we think. But if it doesn't look like him, if he's wanting to make us into a building, he's got to make us into pieces that fit. So he is building his church. And he wants to fit us all in to the places that are just right. But my first question is, is are we allowing him to shape us in the way that he wants to shape us? Are we allowing him to take out everything that doesn't look like him? Is it our attitude that we continually go before him and say, okay, Lord, um, what doesn't look like you? Um, I'll, I'll lay it down. I'll lay it down. I'll sacrifice that that doesn't look like you. Take it out. Maybe it's things that we say. Maybe it's ways we think about people. But he's the master builder. And he'll build it on a rock. Secondly, it says that um, the gates of Hades shall not win a victory over it. Dear Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of Hades will not win a victory over it. This is actually a quote I, I said, you know, it's uh, like Abraham when, when God blesses Abraham. This is actually um, partly a, the blessing that, that God gives to Abraham. That Abraham's seed would, pos- remember, who's Abraham's seed? Oh, boy, we've got to go over Galatians 3, don't we? <laughs> Abraham's seed is, yep, Jesus, right? And then with us, Right? So he's going to give the seed of Abraham, they will, they will, the seed of Abraham will, um, uh, will lay hold of, they will, they will possess the gates of, of his enemies. And that's out of Genesis 22. Does anybody remember what happens in Genesis 22, or am I just, am I the only one that, I, that comes up to pop, top of my head? Probably because I had to translate it several times in Hebrew. Genesis 22. This is when God tells Abraham, take your son, your only one, and go to the mountain that I have shown you. It was a three-day journey, and then, of course, they, you know, he, he, he puts the, uh, the wood of the altar on top of Isaac, right? And they carry the fire up, and Isaac's going, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And, and Abraham says, yeah, well... 
um, God, God will take care of the sacrifice. And he gets up to the top of the mountain and he, start, he raises his knife to slay his son. And God says, no, 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 wait. That's where this blessing that we will possess the gates of our enemies, that's really where I believe it comes from. There's a couple of things with this that I, I think we, uh, we really need to see. Number one, you know, we need to realize that the, there is an enemy and it's got gates. Right? And we can, look out, we can look out here and say there are gates out here, but it's not the people that are the problem. The people that are out here, um, the, the gates of the enemy are keeping us from bringing them into the kingdom. You know, it may be addiction. It may be that they uh, are bound up in, in, in lifestyles that they need to be, get out of. They, they are bound up in their own mind, in their own thinking, in their own philosophies. They, they're, they're out here and the, the enemy, they are in enemy territory and they are not the enemy, Right? But they are servants to a cruel taskmaster called sin. So I want to make sure I repeat that. The people are not the enemy. We're supposed to love them and bring them in. Right? But there are gates there that are there to keep us out. But what the promise is, is those gates won't be able to keep us out. We inherit, we possess the gates of our enemies. Gates are there to keep us from going in, not for us to try to keep them from coming into us. Right? Now, I just told the story of when that took place. And sometimes I wonder if the way that we are able to go in and possess the gates of our enemy, the way that we're able to, to break those down is the willingness to sacrifice. Abraham, God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now don't ask me to sacrifice any of these kids over here. I think if I heard that, I would go, that's the devil. Uh-uh, no way, uh-uh, sorry, no, uh, that, not happening. But it's at that point that Abraham goes to sacrifice not only his son, but his lineage, the promised son, and he's willing to do it. And then God blesses him and says, I trust you. Now I trust you. I know that you will do what I said, and I'm going to give you the gates. Are we willing to sacrifice for the gates? What are we willing to sacrifice? Remember, Jesus gave this at, by Caesarea, you know, at Caesarea Philippi. If there were a red light district in the area, this was it. As I, as I said, 
this is the place where they did all kinds of lewd and, and crazy, let your imagination wonder and it will not be far off, okay? What they did at Caesarea Philippi in order to try to please the Greek gods so that they could have, you know, bountiful crops and bountiful herds and flocks and, right? They did all these. And Jesus is there and he says, this is where I'm going to build my church. So there's no place that we should not infiltrate. There's no place too bad. There's no place that has too much addiction. There's no place that has too much prostitution. There's no place that has too, too little money or too great money, too, too, um, too divided or too united. There's, there is no place that is too awful that we should not be saying this is where God is going to put his church. But it may take some sacrifice to get in there. going to take some sacrifice of time and effort take money it'll take love there may be some um, oftentimes there's casualties in war going to take effort going to take lots of prayer going to take a lot of time that we're just sowing and we're, and we're pouring into people and sometimes it'll we'll see a great harvest and sometimes we'll be we'll pull out our hair and say god are you ever going to answer but are we willing to sacrifice for those gates because that is our promise the promise is that god will give those to us but if we never go we'll never get them we're never willing to sacrifice if we're never willing to go like Abraham did, if we're never willing to go like Paul did, those gates will never be possessed. And the last thing. It says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Kind of how I'm seeing this is there's two sets of gates, actually. It's interesting that, you know, the first thing that I, that I said was what Jesus is going to do. I will build my church. Right? What he will do. The second thing was, the gates of your enemy, you, the, boy, why can't I get this out? Um, the gates of Hades will not overpower it, right? So, it's secondly, it's not, it's not what you're doing. The gates of Hades, are not, you're, it's specifically speaking about the gates. Now, Jesus comes to what you're supposed to do. I'll give you the keys. I'll give you the keys. The idea it actually comes from um, from Isaiah, and uh, Eliakim says he, he, he'll put the keys on your shoulder. Whatever you 
let in is able to come in. Whatever you keep out is able to come out. And I'll make, make you a, a, a tent, a peg firmly established. Okay, the, the whole idea was is the servant of the king was actually going to be elevated and it's prophesied over him and that uh, he was going to be in such a position that he, whoever he let in to see the king was able to come in. And whoever he said, nope, you're not able to come in, had to stay out. And Jesus says the same thing about not just Peter. Because if you look further, it's repeated again later on in Matthew and in John. And it's really about us. Whoever you let in is able to come in. And whoever you keep out is able to keep you. It stays out. And that is quite a responsibility. We look at the gates of Hades and we're like, all right, let's go storm the gates. But I'm, I'm wondering which gates are open and which gates are closed. Of course, the devil doesn't want us storming, but I'm wondering, are our gates open? And I'm thinking people should be streaming into our gates, right? They should, be, they should be pouring in. If they're not, why are they not? Should we be stopping them at the door and saying, okay, yes, you can come in. No, you, you can come in, right? But are they not pouring in? Because they look and they say, they don't have anything that I want. Think about what people are wanting and needing right now. And honestly, there's a, um, you know, a, this is one of the sermons I'm preaching to myself, okay? And you all can just be part of it. And if it blesses you and it hits something home for you, great. I'm preaching it to myself, though, all right? I look and probably that more than any other time in my life, I look around and people need God. They need the church. They need Jesus. They need healing in, in so many ways. They need physical healing. They need emotional healing. They need hope. They need joy. They need peace. They need, they need love. They need, a lot of people just need, they need somebody to give them a hug. You know, they, they need that physical touch. They need, they need so much. Right now you look around and, and it's just everywhere. And I have to tell you, I, I have said this so many times, and I'm tired of it. What I've said, I've said to other pastors, I've talked to other pastors and to Ruth and to different people, I've said, you know, everything we normally do in ministry, we can't do right now. I think about whole ministries like, like Hume that totally shut down last year, pretty much. You know, they had a virtual deal, but it, they're not doing camps. I know other churches that are still just virtual. I know 
of um, other churches that have had to shut down for a while and are virtual and are going to come back. I, I know other um, Douglas Manor. I used to go into Douglas Manor once a month and have for years for, since we moved to Connecticut. I, I've gone into Douglas Manor once a month and haven't been able to go back for almost the last year because of the pandemic. And I tell people, like, I don't know how to do this right now because we're, we're, all, we're, we're bumping up against these regulations. And, and, and we're, I feel like what we've done is we've, we've, we've walled ourselves in with a gate. Maybe that gate's fear. Maybe not just fear of getting sick, but sometimes it's fear of being close to people. I don't want to get hurt again. Maybe it's fear of failure. Maybe it's fear of success. Maybe we just don't want to be around those type of people whatever those type is for everybody. Sometimes it's, you know, I don't want to be around the ultra-rich, or I don't want to be around the Silicon Valley. I don't want to be around those who are, go to the, the, the food pantries. I don't want to be around. We, we have our people that we like to be around. I remember years ago somebody asked me, uh, if somebody has an abortion, would you let them come into your church? I said, oh, yes, please. They need help. There's some people that say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to shove them out because they have been in, at one time, in, been in this sin. We have gates. And we're locking people out. And here's what I need your help with. Because it's our job it's our duty. It's who we are as ambassadors of the king to go out there and to, to not only lay hold of, to, to demolish the gates of the enemy, but to rescue these people who are dying. They're dying. Many of them are going to hell. And you know what? If we go out there and we die... We go to heaven, right? Is it, is it, is it better for the, to win one life and for them to be able to go to heaven? And, and even, if we have, even if we get to go to heaven early? But I would like us to brainstorm together. Because in one sense, from last week, I said, you know, we have to submit ourselves to governing authorities, Right? So in one sense, we need to be very, very respectful of, of what um, the governor and, and what the, the federal government has said that we need to do in relation to the pandemic, okay? I'm sa- let me say that up front. I'm not saying we go out and we thumb our nose in, at the government, okay? Not saying that at all. But what I am saying is this. We have to find a way to minister to the people that are hurting right now. Things that I would like to see happen I'd love to have a, uh, do a, have a celebrate recovery here. How do we do that right now? I don't know, but let's find a way. Because we know, you know, there, there are great 12-step programs, and I bless 
bless those folks. They, they, they're great. Um, but ultimately, a lot of times people need to come in and they've got a spiritual issue that those 12-step programs can't take care of. They need to come in and, and come in and say, and, and we'll say, look, um, they say, you know, I'm an addict. And you pray for me. Say, no, you're not. Not anymore. I was, I was sitting across the table from a pastor years ago. And uh, he had years previous to that, he, I think he had been into alcohol. And uh, he was still doing a 12-step program here, you know, just to kind of keep that up. And, and he said, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I said, no, you're not. And he looked at me kind of stunned. And, and I said, I said, do you believe you're a new creation in Christ? Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And he looked at me and went, oh, I guess so. But that's what people need. You know, yes, get them in with the, with the 12 steps continually, but we need to have the power of the Lord come so much that people walk in, and they, they walk in as an addict, and we say, no, you're, you're a new creation. Walk out free. And then let them continue on with some steps that they continue, and they have that accountability. But you're not going to root out a spiritual issue by natural means. I'd love to do some 12-step, you know, some of the Celebrate Recovery stuff. I'd, I'd um, do some tutoring. We've got we've to get a lot of these kids that, that are being lost in the school system. And right now, it's even getting worse. Instead of better, it's getting a lot worse. They're all online, and, and I know they're trying. I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody for what they're doing because they're trying. Everybody's trying. Really, the parents are trying. The school system's trying. Everybody's trying. They're trying their best. And so this isn't a, hey, Somebody's doing a bad job. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is the system is broken. Even though everybody's trying to do it and trying to do it well, it, there's a disconnect, and kids are getting lost. They're not learning to read. They're not learning their, their, uh, their subjects. Kids are getting lost. We, we, can do, we can make a difference. We can bring them in, and we can, we can teach them these, these skills. Not only that, I'd love to see us do some life skills for people. Some of you guys are, 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 are wonders in, in different things. I'd love to see some life skills. Look, bless these, other, these people that have the soup kitchens and, and whatnot. They can do that. It's great. Bless them. Love them. We'll send people to them. But, you know, there comes a point that, you know, we, we don't need to do the same thing. But also it's kind of the old adage you you can um, give a man a fish and feed him for a day, but you can teach him to fish and feed him for a lifetime, right? Let's get people in and let's teach them how, let's, let's, let's do a resume class. How do you write a resume? How do you dress for an interview? How, how do you go in and you get a job? Okay, once you have a job, how do you budget? What do you do with the money? Do you, do you get your first paycheck and go blow it all on, on, uh, you know, on video games? Or no, this is how you budget. This is how you get out of debt. This is, how you, um, this is how you do a menu. This is how you take care of your body. This is what you do when you have kids. Let's teach people how to parent and how to parent well. Now, how can we do all that right now? God has given you guys so much good stuff and brilliance and gifts and talents. I don't know, but I think if we put our heads together, we'll find a way. 
Now I'm tired of telling people I don't know. I want to be able to say, you know what? This has been hard, but we have, we are, we're, we're making inroads. We're going in. We're, we're finding ways to do it. We're, we're going, you know, we can't do this, this, and this, but we're, we found another way around. It's kind of like roads in Connecticut. There's about six different ways to get anywhere. Right? So if one's closed, you, go, you take the other one. What's the other road? Help me to find it. Please. Outside. I'd also like to see, um, I'd love to see us get on, on campus, the, the high school campuses, the elementary sca- campus, the college campuses around. I'd love it to infiltrate the campuses. Be, I, years ago, um, when uh, this is back in the late 90s, uh, you know, there was the, the started having the campus shootings. And I, I had the thought, you know what, pe- what we need is, we need a pastor to be on every campus. Don't have, to tell, don't have to say a word to anybody unless somebody comes up and wants to talk. You don't have to say a word. Just be there to pray. Just be a presence, a, a presence for the kingdom of God on that campus. I'd love to see people on campuses all around here. Or we just, you don't have to say anything unless somebody comes up and says, hey, what are you doing here? I see you here every day. What are you doing? Let me tell you. Just to be a presence. Let's find a way. Again, we have this responsibility of letting people in. Are we bringing people in? Are we letting people into the kingdom of God? Or are we keeping them out? And I have this really bad feeling. As I said, I'm preaching to myself here, okay? That we put up these walls, especially right now. And right now, we've kind of kept people out more than we've let them in. And we've got to change. Again, me first. I'm the one who keeps saying, I don't know how to do this. We've got to find a way. And I'm, I'm coming to you guys and saying, let's brainstorm this together. If you get an idea, like Ian, if you get an idea, shoot me an email. Let's find a way to do these things. Let's, get, let's find ways to get out into the community. Let's find ways to bring the community in here. Do so in, in ways that we're still right with all the government regulations. But we have life, and so many of them out there have have death. We've got to bring them into life somehow or another. We're going to do it when he builds his church, when he knocks off all of our rough edges. We're going to storm the gates, which also might mean that we're going to have to sacrifice. 
It may mean that we sacrifice our time, our money, our effort, sacrifice our I sacrifice our life. Many, many of our fathers in the faith have done that. And then I pray that we open the gates. We open them widely. That we make ourselves make this place ready. We might have to do but we might have to do stuff to actually this physical location. Say, okay, we're gonna start having people come in. What do we need to do to make it ready? Well, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have a we're gonna have a celebrate recovery. So we need we need we need we need some barriers up, or we need to uh, we need to actually get uh, places ready and our sections of the building ready. What do we need to do? We might have to we might have to change some things. But when this thing was going on for two, three, four weeks but it's passing almost into a year and there is um, no more time to wait for us to be able to make an impact out there. Amen. So let's let's storm the gates. Let's bring them in. Let's be ready to do it. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, we pray for your creative ingenuity here. So we don't know how to do this totally. We don't know how to reach out in a, in a time when we're not really supposed to be getting in each other's space. We don't know how to have a group where you're supposed to be hands-on and not supposed to be hands-on. Lord, please show us. Show us your creative ways to do this during this time. As for me, Lord, I'm ready. Whatever it takes. And Lord, we we pray that you will open these doors up. In the spirit right now, everything that is blockading people from coming in and receiving the love that, that we have been given by you and that we have to share. I remove those blocks now in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask that all the fear and all the doubt and all of the, um, any sort of uh, segregation or anything that, that may keep people away from this place right here, that it would be removed right now. And that you would bring people in Lord, we'll go get him too. But Lord, we're asking for your help to bring him in as well. Send your angels to go out and to bring in the harvest from the north, south, east, and west to bring him in. 
Lord, pray that you will make us ready for that harvest. Make us ready for the harvest, Lord. Whatever you need to do to make us ready, Lord, to build us into that that building, shape us. Lord, if there's something that we need to do here to make this space ready, Lord, show us what that is and give us the ability to do it. If for for what we Lord, what we need to go out and do ministry. Whatever that looks like, we ask that you provide it. Provide us with the monetary resources, the human resources, the if, if we need books or, or whatever, Lord, we ask that you provide everything that we need. And we'll go. Just show us how and where and how to do it during this time. Lord, we want to see your kingdom expand. We're humbly asking, use us. Lord, I speak a blessing on every person represented here online today over their families. Blessing for your protection. Lord, we thank you for those that we've even heard this morning that you... um, you have uh, brought through sickness. Lord, for the others that I know are, are online even this morning because they're having to quarantine, I pray your protection over them. Lord, as we just go about our daily business, whether that's um, at work or, or going to the store or getting gas in our car, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that your, your hand of protection would be about each one of us then nothing would be able to come near us to harm us. Lord, I ask that if, it, if the enemy tries to harm us, that you would, you would uh, pay him back sevenfold and give us ten people in the kingdom because of it. And a blessing for provision. For each person here. Thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name.